from the team at Waterstones, welcome to What Is, a podcast where we discuss interesting tech. I'm Paul, and today I'm joined again by David, uh, who is from our manufacturing team here at Waterstones and has been looking into the interesting topic of smart factories. So David, do you want to start by telling me what a smart factory actually looks like? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people have this sort of idea of smart factories as everything is sort of automated and um, we're making sort of highly bespoke custom things one at a time. Um, it's all very data-driven. There's sensors everywhere. All of the machines sort of repair themselves. There's, there's not really any human involvement. There's visibility of where everything is in the factory at all times. Um, and this, is, this isn't really that far removed from the truth. Um, but we don't really need to get there through um, vast increases in all of these individual technologies. These technologies already exist and are already all available today. Um, really, the main thing that, that makes a, a factory smart is is good control of its data. It needs to sort of uh, know what's going on. It needs to know why that data is important, how to get insight out of that data, and then what to do with it when it has it. Um, so really, the what we're looking at for, for smart factories in modern terms are um, factories that have um, all their systems connected to each other or at least they're they're able to to find the data from all of their systems and use that to improve their processes and and uh, and have tight quality controls and stuff like that so that would be a case of making sure that the data is interconnected throughout the entire factory and not in isolation yeah we're we're looking at um knowing temperature data from heat treating processes before and part goes into to milling or turning or something like that it's uh it, so that, that that process can then be adjusted slightly to to account for variances in in um in temperature during heat treating it's it's a uh, it's that kind of thing where where you can you can make these very subtle changes to to the process and and reduce errors and improve quality um without manual intervention cool so what is the challenge that you have faced to, to today to to get that data that means that we're not seeing those smart factories right now um i think this is something i've spoken about before that uh it's the same challenge you see everywhere in in this sort of futuristic technology um we've got lots and lots of individual proprietary systems that don't talk to each other and often use their own languages and, and their own protocols and, and um, talk in their own ways. And getting those to, to sort of cooperate can be quite difficult. Yes, you're right. We mentioned that sort of thing when we were talking about autonomous vehicles. Um, what do we need to do then? Like, what do we need to see um, to to create that change? Is that is that a difference in the way um, factories themselves set up or does it require... Uh, the people that supply the machines to work together to to do that for example uh, i think it could be solved in in either way really um one of the technologies that that we've been looking at is um uh it's called a data river uh where you sort of plug bits into the um the uh into each machine and collect the data out of there, and then each other machine can can have a, a sort of microcontroller attached to it that subscribes to one of these live data feeds. So you can see exactly how fast your conveyor belt is moving before it gets to the next one or something. And and so you, 
it's um that's that's one way of doing it where uh you just try and extract all the data from your disparate systems and and use um controllers over the top of them to to make better use of that i think we could also see uh, a solution come into play with ubiquity between um in in the types of machines that are produced that we might see that the that uh machines with different capabilities while they might still be produced by different people that the software that handles the data or the you know the the electronics that handle the data in these machines are, are made by the same people through you know ubiquitously that that would be one way of doing it because then presumably the way that these machines uh handle their data the way they sort of talk to each other would be more standardized um something else that we might see is is um improvements in infrastructure that handle this things like 5g um as as factories sort of uh as as these machines and stuff start becoming more um iot enabled uh, internet of things um we might see that the communication technologies that they use inherently like out of necessity like like 5g um might enable them to to communicate in a way that's much more standardized um by default that they'll sort of need to to communicate in the standard way in order to communicate at all okay cool um so in in my head when you say smart factory i see something futuristic like i um i suppose some factories at the moment already look quite futuristic you can probably car factories are a really good example of that that you've got all of these machines that are robot arms and all of the the interesting stuff like that when we're talking about smart factories is that just my head going smart factory sci-fi kind of that sort of thing or will smart factories change the types of machines and the way our factories look or are we just what we've got now but the way we utilize the information will be totally different Uh, i think it's dependent on the organization for some scales of organization, having these sort of new types of machines and, and you know, um, hugely improved technologies is, is absolutely the way to go. I know like, um, VW and, and General Electric and stuff have started using, um, AR in their factories as, as a, as a way of doing quality control and, and, um, like a, assisted manual intervention. Um, but that's not really appropriate for, for a lot of, um, small scale manufacturers you you, do, you don't really need that kind of that kind of level of technology like it, it's the same with these these sort of um robot arms that are like really really useful in these factories where everything has to has to be um produced in in extremely tight time frames and and with high levels of precision but if you only have two machines or if you have uh if you have a lot of machines and it's not always clear which machine um you know, you don't have the, a single path for every component that goes through your factory. Then it's it might not be appropriate to have a robot arm. It might be just easier to to do these things in in batches and have someone take them to the correct machine manually. That might still be easier than than programming a, a robot arm. Um, I think uh, these improvements in technology, like new types of machines, robot welders, like automatic, you know, CNC machines as opposed to to manual machines, is uh, a lot of these improvements are, are very general and will help efficiency anywhere. Um, but certainly, some of the more complex stuff, like like using AR for for quality control or 
or uh, using IoT to communicate all the data around your factory is something that, that is dependent on the scale of your organization. So you mentioned AR for quality control. I'm quite interested to hear exactly the sorts of things they're doing with that. Uh, so AR can be used for uh, a number of purposes in, in manufacturing. Um, one of them, like I said, is, is quality control, where you can compare um, things coming off your production line to a, a standard digital copy um, and see where the variations are, if, if there are any deviations, if, if there are any errors in your processes, and, and you can start to identify these errors in your processes earlier. Uh, another thing it can be used for is is assisted maintenance. Um, it can be quite an, an it's quite a lot of information to keep track of if you have to know exactly how every machine in the factory works. But if these manuals are all, all electronic and maintaining them can be um, assisted via sort of standard troubleshooting guides like you'd find in the manual anyway, then there's no reason that an engineer shouldn't have to remember this and should only need the, the skill of repairing the machine rather than the, the knowledge of how each machine works. That when they approach the machine, their AR headset could tell them what what troubleshooting steps to take and what kind of things they're looking for, like burnt out circuit boards or something like that. And I suppose that sort of comes back to what we were talking about earlier and integrates with that idea of the um, connected data where you could actually use the data from the machine and the machines surrounding it to help identify what the likely issue was. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've spoken about these, this sort of troubleshooting process, and, and this is exactly the kind of thing we look at in predictive maintenance, that you could basically the, automate a lot of the troubleshooting process. It's it's just quite a complicated flowchart. If um, you know, one of the steps might be check to see if the machine is, is too hot, well, if the machine's got temperature sensors on it, it'll already know if it's too hot. Uh, the, these are quite simple things that you can that you can do, and and putting sensors on on things to to get to get the right kind of data at the right stages of your processes is is generally quite useful. Um, it gets more complicated once you've collected this data to get the value out of it. The the value isn't in the data itself; it's in the insight that you can generate from that data. Um, you first sort of need to convert data into information. Which is something that AI can help with. Can help out with. It's something that we've we've become quite good at doing with AI. But getting insight out of that information is something that's still largely human driven. It's it's quite difficult to to get machines to to do that automatically because it requires a lot of context around your processes and your environment and your products and all that sort of thing. So the challenge we've got is obviously getting all of that data and turning that into information so that our factory can run better i suppose is is what we're looking for so run smoother we would we know how much it costs every time a production line stops obviously dependent on the company but we always know it's it's big numbers it's big numbers it can be millions of pounds um for minutes stops on the production line so that's where you're saying the predictive maintenance obviously really helps because we can schedule that in we can make sure the impact is minimal if a machine breaks it's going to take far far longer we're also looking at the information to help the production line work together um, and make sure that machines understand what other machines are doing better and help them to actually improve their own workflows based on what's happening around them is there anything else that we should be getting from this data um, that we are collecting. Um, so, some of the important, more important things that you can get from your data are variances. 
uh, where things deviate from from their normal operating standards. Um, that's quite important in in predicting the outcomes of your quality control and eventually replacing your quality control by making sure nothing has gone wrong in the process rather than in inspecting the end result. Um, it also, if you do it this way, it allows you to to correct the, the mistakes in that process uh, faster than if you examine a batch of, of things and realize that something has gone wrong on all of them and then working backwards to find out what went wrong. Um, if you just know that your heat treatment is running too hot or if your your lathe is turning too slowly or something like that, then then you can you can correct this much earlier. Um, other things that you might be able to get out of your out of your data are, are things that will help the the processes themselves. Um, an example I saw fairly recently was um, checking the the weight um, of things on a conveyor belt and using that data to um, to decide how quickly the conveyor belt should run and how quickly the next conveyor belt should run that rather than uh putting a heavy thing on a quickly running conveyor belt and having the the motor burn out if you know there's going to be a heavy thing on your conveyor belt soon then slow the conveyor belt down and increase the torque and it will handle it a lot better and it will increase the lifespan of the conveyor belt and rather than you know your, your thing will move a little bit more slowly but it will move more slowly rather than your conveyor belt stopping so this is even beyond predictive maintenance. This is this is uh, preventing maintenance. Yeah. So we're looking at um, improving the future uh, production line. We're looking at out the data we see today. What changes can we make? That means tomorrow's production line is going to be more efficient than today's production line. Yeah. Yeah. Reducing um, reducing errors in in product quality, uh, reducing um, time lost in the factory. Um, it's that sort of thing just making sure everything runs a bit more smoothly and, and runs a bit bit better essentially more 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 effectively cool so i think we've covered quite a few reasons why we'd want this um alongside sort of talking about what a smart factory would look like um is there anything we've we've missed in that in terms of what we should why we are looking to move to this smart factory um collected information sharing that information um i think one of the the only other things that that we'd get out of a smart factory really is is um a higher level of of uh, of customization in products that, that it's essentially another move in the in the in the servitization trend that rather than a factory rather than like a car factory making millions of the same car you're you're looking at being able to to tailor each one by tailoring these processes in real time to the the customer that's going to buy it that um you know we already have like um this this sort of um increase in in um or or decrease i suppose in in um in wait times and when you buy things from from amazon but we will i think we'll also see that in in having things made for you that rather than just being able to order something that's off the shelf and, and receive it tomorrow it, it's it's we'll have to we'll be able to order something bespoke and receive it in two days you know it's um it's that kind of thing that we're looking at if you if you if you have more control over your processes if you know uh what makes your processes work correctly if you know uh what accounts for the deviation in your processes and if you're able to configure your machines automatically and um and handle all of the the, the things moving through your factory in a way that's that's generally correct 
then um, there's no reason that you wouldn't be able to make different things for different people rather than a million of the same thing every day. That's one of the selling points of Mini, right? Um, selling cars um, around the world. I think one of their strap lines is no two cars alike. I don't know if they still have that or not. But I think that was, I remember seeing a talk on it um, that I think was done here internally around what Mini have done to allow that customization. So in, in that sense, we're already seeing a lot of that sort of smart factory um thing that you're talking at mini yeah um a, a lot of a lot of companies are, are well on the road to to um becoming smart factories i suppose it's it's the a lot of people call it industry 4.0 um at watson's we, we generally use digital manufacturing or data-driven manufacturing because that's that's sort of the more important side of it it's it's having good control of your data rather than than better technology um but uh, it's certainly a, a lot of a lot of places are, are really on their way. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the the major pushes are certainly in in the automotive industries because they tend to have a lot more money to to play with, and they tend to they tend to, they've always been leaders in improving their their manufacturing and business processes. Like back from the introduction of, of lean and stuff, that's that's been done by automotive. Um, and and so that's where I talk about uh, VW using AR and quality control and General Electric are doing something similar. I think they're both using Google Glass um, and Mini making bespoke products rather than a hundred, you know, a thousand cars a day the same. It's um, yeah, it's 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 typically driven by automotive, but we're seeing plenty of other places um, do that as well. I know we've worked with um, some companies in in servitizing their their products where they used to they used to produce um components for for ships and now they um collect data from these components and um provide you know um reports on on how they're operating and and allow for predictive maintenance and and they'll repair these these components rather than make new ones and replace them um we've done work with um companies that produce welding materials and and uh hire out um welding equipment that we're now helping them to get data out of their welding equipment um, to see where to have better stock control, but also to see uh, how they're being used and how they can, they can improve efficiencies in their welding equipment that they produce. Uh, it's that sort of thing that, that plenty of places are, are well on their way. It's a uh, smart, the, the concept of the smart factory is a lot closer than a lot of people think, but the, the idea of, of a smart factory and in, in the way that, you know, the way that you talk about where it's this sort of vastly futuristic uh, endeavor is is probably that it, that itself is quite far away so if we're talking about that smart factory timeline if you'd put some years on it what what would you say um so if we talk about something like data-driven manufacturing where you've got good control of your processes you you've got good control of uh, you've got good visibility of what happens in your processes and you're able to generate generate insight out of the deviations of those things you're able to start doing predictive maintenance that sort of thing that's already in a lot of places today and um, we're certainly going to be seeing more and more people pushing for that kind of thing in the next five to ten years. It's uh, it's going to that sort of thing is going to become ubiquitous. I'm I'm confident. Uh, if we're talking about extremely futuristic things, but everyone is using AR for quality control, and there's 5G in every factory, and, and you're doing very small custom bespoke shipments carried off by autonomous vehicles, then we're looking at a much further away. We're talking about 30, 40 years. I'm going to ask a difficult question now for you. 
And if I was to ask you to do a bit of futurism, and we are looking at 30 to 40 years, what does the inside of a factory look like in 30 to 40 years, in your opinion? Um, there probably are fewer people in the factory um, than there are now. Um, certainly, the people that that will be in a factory will have different jobs. You you won't see you won't see jobs like um, forklift driver anymore um, because it would be automated. Yeah, that's uh, for uh, driving a forklift is is going to be much easier a much easier problem than um, or, or automating the uh, forklift is going to be a much easier problem than than a, a driverless car. Why would that be? Um, because uh, if we, if you remember back to our podcast on autonomous vehicles, um, when we talked about sort of level three versus level four versus level five autonomy, um, a forklift truck only ever has to achieve level four autonomy because it only ever has to be completely familiar with with the factory that it that it lives in, and that factory that it lives in is is a much much smaller environment with far fewer potential hazards than a city. So it, it's going to be a much easier. Um, system to train than a than a driverless car and i also believe from my memory that there are certain factories that do that sort of thing very simple form today because you can just get it to follow a line for example um, which is almost safer because then you can designate no go areas for employees yeah i think i think boeing or, or maybe airbus um possibly both they they use um automated trolleys to carry things around around factories already yeah and, and they already do things like uh, ai led initiatives to to sort of uh, look for incorrect behavior in these things so they can um so that they can update their the the paths that these things are supposed to take quite quickly um they allow them to receive these paths from lots of sources and then they just check to see if any of them seem suspicious afterwards and uh, and try to prevent those from actually running so we've got automated forklifts what else do we have um we are probably looking at most things being connected wirelessly through through 5g um or whatever is <laughs> 6g 7g yeah, 7 8 9 at that point we're, we're talking we are talking about 30 years and it's going to be some kind of successor um the the important thing is that things will generally be communicating on on some kind of standard um, a lot of the data that's that's inherent to the manufacturing processes will will be will be available for the rest of the factory to to use and to and to uh, and to to utilize properly in order to, to adjust its own behaviors. Um, we'll probably see um, things being made in much smaller batches than today. At the moment, um, a lot of the costs in manufacturing um, are saved by producing things in higher numbers. Generally, it's it's uh, it takes it takes a certain amount of time to set up machines to do a job, and then it takes a certain amount of time for the machine to actually do that job. And so, if you can set it up once and then do the job a thousand times, and you've saved nine hundred ninety nine chunks of time out of the two thousand total. So it's it's you're nearly at fifty percent. And and depending on how long it takes to set up, if it takes two hours to set up and only ten minutes to run, then you're saving loads and loads of time by by making things in huge batches. If these processes are automated, or if you can share sections of processes, then you might see that um, this setup time doesn't become so much of a problem anymore, and that um, things can be made in smaller batches without without huge losses in efficiency. So, automated forklifts, smaller batches, missed something there, didn't I? Um, wireless communication. Wireless communication. Generally. Uh, and in my head, it will look like something out of Star Wars, right? Um, 
yeah, I think probably won't be far off actually with with the sort of little robots running around and um, fewer people about. Uh, I think generally people will be in smart factories as um, in a sort of maintenance role. Um, the role of, of of a handyman is something that's going to be extremely difficult to automate because uh, because it relies on a, a large skill set um, and and lots and lots of different small tasks in that are being done in in lots of different ways. It's quite a difficult thing to to train a machine to do. So um, the role of handyman probably isn't going anywhere. Um, machine maintenance and repair will will still be done by humans. Generally, it might be done by humans with with quite specialized technological tools. Uh, but generally the, the skill will still be will still be human and then when we're looking to distribute that out of the factory probably autonomous vehicles again you reckon autonomous vehicles as well i think in some to some capacity it's going to be auto- yeah um we're going to be seeing at that at that sort of stage in the future my predictions are uh, um sort of automatic loading of of uh, products onto shipping vessels or or onto vans or trucks or whatever and and then um yeah smaller things being delivered in smaller batches um because it's uh because you can you can do routing and and traffic management more efficiently if you if ever you know if drive if cars are automated that's that's it everything <laughs> in the future is automated refer you, back to it? our automated vehicles podcast <laughs> So in 30 to 40 years' time, everything will be automated um, from inside a factory to on our roads. To, to uh, yeah, certainly um, certainly the, the, the backbone of delivery will, will be automated at that point. Things like um, international shipping, I expect, will be, will be automated. Um, things like, uh, you know, in, intercity shipping will be, will be automated. You might still find there's more bespoke things um, or, or as it gets more bespoke or, or more, you know... Um, as the level of detail becomes more fine, that humans have to be involved because there's it's it's more hard to to train a machine to do lots of different little jobs than it is to do one big simple job. Um, so we might still see, we you, you might still get your package handed to you by a person, um, but it's it's probable that if it turned up from China, then there was probably a a, a week or so where it wasn't being supervised by a person. Yeah. So with that being the future factory, if we're talking 30, 40 years in the future, um, let's finish on what is the most futuristic factory that you know of today that you've seen a case study of or you've seen yourself? Um, I recently had a tour of a, of a factory that was making um, smart packaging um, and they just had very, very good control of... of um, of the data involved in their processes to the point where they were able to fairly accurately predict the quality of the end product, which was quite impressive. Um, to the point where they, they were looking at a, um, they were, you know, they were looking at an image of a silicon wafer on a screen and, um, seeing areas of it color coded by predictions of, of, um, of quality and then seeing the actual versions next to it and, and watching these predictions really, really match up. That was quite impressive. Um, using that sort of data, their next steps are going to be able to to be improving their processes so that they get more and more green, good quality areas and fewer red, bad quality areas, um, which will be which will definitely set them ahead of of a lot of other manufacturers in that area. Brilliant, but no little BB-8 robots running around or anything yet. 
Uh, no, they, they definitely had some very interesting um, bespoke machines, but but no tiny robots. <laughs> that's a shame. That's that. That's my hope for the future. Then to see uh, small little cute robots running around our factories and 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 moving various stuff about. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, next steps for most people, we're definitely looking at getting control of your data, um, understanding what your what your customers are actually actually want where where the value add steps are in your in your processes and concentrating on those it's it's things that um that are all the sort of classic digital transformation things really uh we're looking at like proper servitization seeing if there's if there's value that you're not monetizing um doing sort of um proper horizon scanning making sure there isn't technology out there that um that could be helping you do your processes much more efficiently than you're currently doing them things like that it's it's just sort of um there's a lot of very basic things that are, that will put you well on the road to to turning a factory into a smart factory and and that's those can all be done today you know and if you're talking about doing more bespoke manufacturing there's also more communication with the customer as to where their product is in that process and and when they're going to get it and and what it looks like at the moment yeah that's that's a a huge um cultural shift that you're looking at there but it's sort of one that's going to be inherent to to the future as we describe it where we talk about uh data being open and and um everything sort of being able to communicate with each other is one of the consequences that is that um you'll be able and possibly unable to prevent your customers having better visibility of of uh of your processes and, and, and of, you know, the, the quality of the product and, and when it's going to arrive. And especially if a lot of sort of, um, shipping is automated, then you might not tell you, you might not be telling your customers when their product is ready, but your customers would might still be able to find out when the van's going to arrive at their house. <laughs> well, I feel like, especially with a bigger purchase, like a car or something, I want to know where it is all the way down that line from when I first yeah. ordered it. And if that's a if that's a value add yeah. thing that a, that a manufacturer can provide, then it's it's something that you you'd be willing to to go to a manufacturer that does do that as opposed to one that doesn't. It would definitely make me feel more comfortable knowing that I'll know when it's on the production line, where it is on the production line, where it is in delivering, when I'm going to get it. Yeah. Um. And and know whether it's even been started yet, or whether it's just down the road, and I should expect it in a in a day or two. Yeah cool well thanks very much for your time again today david it's been interesting as always um and as usual you can follow us on twitter if you want more information about what podcasts are coming up that is at what is underscore podcast um if you want to find out more about waterstones you can go to our website that's waterstones.com um and other than that uh until next time that's all for now thanks very much guys